This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. Hello, and welcome back to Beltway Banthas. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, coming at you live from the hive of scum and villainy, Washington, D.C. It has been a crazy week up here, folks. Um, I was not sure if we were going to be able to get this episode out to you on time. Just with everything going on in town and in work, and I've been feeling sick, and it just hasn't been working out. The Russians hacked my sinuses, uh, and I'm just positive that I am not feeling well. But... I was lucky enough to have one of our special guests on this week. Uh, As you know, every couple of weeks we are able to have on a guest who works in politics to talk about their Star Wars fandom. And this week we were joined by Cheston Lee, formerly of the Hillary Clinton for America campaign. Um, He has been a longtime listener of the show and a fan And when we found out that we actually had listeners like in the headquarters of Hillary Clinton in Brooklyn, um, we were quite excited. We're like, ah, we made it. This is what this show is all about. Um, You know, it's Star Wars, uh, Star Wars podcasting for politicos, and it is uh, political podcasting for Star Wars fans. So, you know, we really just felt like we, we hit the perfect spot. Uh, Cheston and I talked a whole lot about the election. We talked about the empire. We talked about the time he met Bill Clinton at the headquarters and got to flaunt his imperial tattoo, and also got to learn how Hillary Clinton came to say, may the force be with you, at the end of a presidential debate. And really just what it means to be a fan uh, of Star Wars and a little bit of his personal life experiences. But before that, just a little housekeeping. Uh, If you would be so kind, please... If you're a fan of the show and a listener, leave us a review. Um, Those mean a whole lot to us, and they make a huge difference in getting the show out to more people. You can do that on iTunes, and really, the impact of that is is huge. It helps us get up there on the chart so that more people know that we are a podcast that is relevant to them. And uh, it's just it's just so important to you know, us taking the time out every week to make these episodes and produce this show for you. So if you think you have a friend who would enjoy it, share it. Uh, put it out there on Facebook. Put it on Twitter. Tag someone who you think would be the perfect uh, you know, politics and Star Wars uh, mashup podcast listener. And we look forward to meeting them. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Kent 89, and that's Stephen with a PH. You can find Beltway Banthas at Beltway Banthas, and we are always online chattering. You can also find our guest today, Cheston Lee, at Cheston, and that shouldn't be too hard to find. With all that said, I'm going to get my sick self out of the way and let you enjoy this awesome conversation with Cheston Lee, formerly of Hillary Clinton for America. All right. Well, welcome back to another interview episode of Beltway Banthas. Today, I'm talking with a listener of the show, Cheston Lee. Cheston, welcome. Hi, Stephen. Hey there. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'll probably mention a little bit uh, a bit in the intro because I'm just really excited about what you do professionally and sort of the background that you bring to this episode. But uh, what have you been up to for the past year? (laughs) Sure. So, um, I've uh, I was working on the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign for the past oh year and a half. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I joined last was it August September uh, I think, and so I managed. I was on the tech team, uh, so I managed a group of software engineers that helped build the fundraising platform and um, really a lot of internal tools, things like that. So I was on the campaign before the primary, all the way through the primary and the general, and uh, yeah, all the way through the election. 
How did you initially get hooked up with the campaign, and, and where did you sort of start working in the orbit of the Hillary Clinton campaign? Yes, that's a good question, uh, because tech doesn't really always necessarily uh, translate directly into like kind of a political world. And so uh, before I was working at the campaign, I worked at a company out in San Francisco called Optimizely. And Optimizely was founded by a bunch of uh, 2008 Obama uh, tech folks. Um, and so they hired a lot of uh, a lot of their team from 2008. And then um, there was just always kind of campaign uh, folks in the orbit of, of the company. Mm-hmm. And there were always a lot of... Um, uh, folks that left in like 2012 to start to do the tech team for uh, work on the tech team for Obama, and then um, someone that I was kind of close with at the company left to start the tech team at uh, Hillary for America. Okay. And so then a couple of other people left, and I think because like campaigns were just kind of in the blood of the company that um, I think ended up uh, like five or six of us ended up going to the the campaign, and so I thought it would be really interesting. I've never really, you know. I worked in technology for a while, and I never really understood, you know, or saw an opportunity to work in politics. And uh, I saw some people leave from from Optimizely, and I thought, like, this was this is kind of the time to translate what I've been doing for the past like eight or nine years into something that I've always kind of wanted to be involved in, um, just kind of in the political world. Uh, I've always been kind of, I've always been passively, casually, actively interested in politics. And so I saw this as like a good opportunity. That's awesome. I, one of the most exciting things of my 2016 was finding out that Beltway Banthas had made it into the halls of a presidential campaign <laughs> um, through you. Um, you know, you're a listener to the show. And so that's kind of how we ended up getting connected. Um, but one of my, one of my most prideful moments was seeing, uh, the I'm with her Leia button in the Hillary, uh, campaign headquarters in Brooklyn. That was so cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was um, really awesome. I got a lot of compliments on that, by the way. Um, a lot of people <laughs> I had, a, um, kind of sitting on my desk, uh, pinned against the corkboard and people kept coming by. Like, oh, I love that pen. Um, and, uh, I, I kind of like, uh, evangelized, just told a lot of people about podcast because I thought like it was a great intersection of Star Wars politics and the politics of Star Wars. And it's not something I'd ever really um, heard a lot of people talk about outside of, you know, random conversations that I have with my (laughs) friends. And so I thought, wow, this is like a really, this is really cool. And so I think uh, there were at least a couple other people I know on on my team that uh, that listened and really enjoyed it. Oh, that's Um, so so, cool. That's so cool. Thanks for all the things that you do. There's a great distraction from, I think, uh, a lot of the uh, the tough political season that we were in in 2016. So that was really fun. Well, that means a lot, uh, a lot to hear. Um, so, so <laughs> thank you for that. Um, yeah. I guess kind of one of my first questions for you was where, you know, where does star Wars start for you? When did that become part of uh, part of your life? Um, so for a very long time, I guess um, I, I can't really remember what my first interaction with star Wars was. I feel like it's always been kind of a part of um, a, a me growing up, I, you know, I had the, uh, the original editions on VHS when I was a kid and I didn't have cable TV. So I would just watch movies over and over and over again. And so star Wars was always my favorite to watch. So I've just seen the original trilogy. God knows how many times. And then, um, some of the special moments I think growing up were, uh, when the special editions came out, the re-releases in the the late nineties and my mom would take me, I would just beg her to take me on opening night and just uh, so excited to try to get, like, they gave away, um, I was really into action figures and toys, and so I collected a lot. 
Uh, and I remember just begging her to take me on opening night because that's when they gave away, like, you know, the custom Return of the Jedi, um, mm. Luke, uh, with the cloak and everything. I was like, oh, I have to have that. And so just, I like, know exactly which that. one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of that. So it's always, always kind of been around, and I really got interested in it when I was younger. Um, just uh, during the re-releases and the lead-ups of the prequels. What was your first theater experience? It must have been one of the prequels. Uh, so I saw. I mean, really, my my mom would take me took me to the the uh, special editions. Okay. But um, when the prequels came out, I was one of those people that lined up really early, and I cut school. Um, and I was I was a very otherwise good student never get in trouble but i'm like i have to get those tickets i have to get like those opening day tickets uh for episode one and um so this is kind of a good story i i went and i sat i was i couldn't get any of my friends to go because they were like i didn't want to get caught they were nervous i'm like i I gotta do it i just you know i have to this is such a big thing so uh i went to the mall sat in line for i don't know i showed up probably like eight or ten in the morning something like that when whenever they open the doors and um I didn't realize, but somebody from the local paper took my photo um, sitting in line. <laughs> and then the next day I go to school and my physics teacher, um, science teacher, science teacher came up to me. He's like, Cheston, is this you? I'm like, yeah, it's obviously me. And he's like, so I know why you were sick yesterday. He's like, I'm not going to tell anyone because he was also a big Star Wars fan. Um, but, you know, don't, don't do that. Don't do that too often. Also, did you get tickets? <laughs> <laughs> that so, is that is perfect. That is perfect. So um, I, yeah, I did the same for um, um, for uh, episode two and three. Uh, I was just I, I I probably saw all of them, you know, ten times in the theater. I don't even know as much as as much money as I had. Well, you know, I I want to hear a little bit about what you think about the politics of Star Wars, but first, I kind of got to go through some of the basics. So that's your first theater experience. What's your favorite Star Wars movie? Okay, so uh, you know, we just. Rogue One has really been on my mind, and I really, really love it. I really had a great ah. time with that. I don't. I still have to say Empire Strikes Back, just because of nostalgia and like how it's it it kind of um, was always present when I was growing up, and that's always my go-to when I need like uh, some comfort food, and I'm like, I'll watch Empire, and that's gonna put me in a good mood. Um, but I was really loving Rogue One, and I want to see like uh, it's it's kind of tough. It's tough to it's it's tough to think. Um, I can't believe I, I didn't even ask you about that. I mean, so Rogue One is only a couple of weeks behind us. How many times have you seen it? I have only seen it once. I saw it the day, like opening day, and that's only because uh, I have not been either in the country or um, uh, with my family. And so yeah. I have actually, I'm going to go see it tomorrow because uh, I wanted to Great. see the IMAX 3D edition. And I'm like, oh, I need, really need to see that. So I'm going to catch up. I was so delinquent when Force Awakens came out because the. <laughs> Because of the campaign, I uh-huh. only saw it once in theaters, which is criminal. I caught up when it came out on DVD, but um, oh my gosh, I'm very delinquent in in my uh, kind of. You've been usual you've been dungeon. doing kind of important work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just been all over the place, but um, yeah. So Empire, I gotta say Empire, just because of uh, how it's kind of influenced my life and um, it's been uh, how it's always been there for me. Now, who's your favorite character? I have a guess, but I want to know what you say. Ooh, you have to tell me what the guess is afterward, but, um, I'm a, so my favorite character is Graham Moff Tarkin. Got it. Um, he's always been my favorite character. Always. Uh, yeah, you guessed that? I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> that is so funny. Um, uh, ever, always like, um, since the original, uh, films were out and he's only in, you know, 15 minutes. Now What's you've that? got 30 minutes of Tarkin after Rogue One. 
Oh my God. So I was so excited. I really tried to tune out so much of um, the Rogue One hype and I was in Asia for most of it and the campaign for the rest of it. So I really tuned out and I didn't know it was coming. And I was like, oh, I was just, that was so, that was so, that was so amazing. Uh, and I just finished reading Tarkin uh, uh, while I was uh, on vacation because I probably had a couple of false starts, but I, I didn't read a, I haven't read a book um, kind of cover to cover uh, like that in, in quite a while. And so that was just like a delight. Um, so yeah, Grand Moff Tarkin, I got, I got to go with that. And still after, I'm even more excited after seeing Rogue One and, and reading Tarkin. I work with a uh, a fellow uh, Grand Moff Tarkin fanboys. Desk is covered with Grand Moff Tarkin toys, <laughs> uh, bobbleheads, like action figures still in their packages and everything. So, oh, yeah. if you are in that camp, uh, Rogue One was a particular treat. Um, I gotta say, I went into Rogue One um, really jazzed about Krennic and yeah. what he was gonna bring to the Empire uh, and and bad guy culture. Um, <laughs> How did you feel about that character going in, and how did you feel about it going out? Did you, uh, what did you think of him? I was I was stoked from day one when I saw Krennic in the the white, um, like perfectly creased outfit, just like to the nines, like imperial, like uh, just like Galactic Empire to, to the T. Like the guy is exactly what I thought uh, I thought of when I think of an imperial bad guy, and I loved him. Uh, I really enjoyed him in the film. I was a little disappointed. Um, and kind of like, you know, what happens? Uh, I don't know. Can we say, can we, talk we, about we can, we can. Yeah. Okay. All right. So like when, you know, his like death, like was very upsetting. So I was kind of excited for him to maybe linger as, um, uh, kind of just this kind of resentful character and maybe in the background, I understand they had canonical reasons why you chose to eliminate so many characters, but I really enjoyed him. I love the, um, unabashed, uh, uh, ambition of uh, so many of these Imperials, like the Imperial uh, higher-ups, just like it's just ruthless. And it's like it, it's something that I am completely not. Um, <laughs> so another reason I think I really like Tarkin, I really enjoy the Empire, because it's like um, seeing something from a completely different perspective that I have no um, you know, I, I can't really connect to um, from my personality, but I just, I really enjoy those uh, those, those kind of stiff characters uh, that yeah. just do out to get like climb that next rung in the ladder. Well, Cheston, uh, what is your favorite moment in star Wars? What's a, 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 a scene or, or a, a takeaway that always gets you? Um, so cloud city, I think the cloud city sequences in Empire Strikes Back are my favorite in all of, all of the films. Uh, and my favorite is when Luke is stalking Vader when he first arrives in the X wing. And it's kind of like there's stormtroopers shuffling about sneaking, um, and then, uh, uh, they're in the, um, uh, uh, the chamber where he finally f- finds Vader. And it's just like that moment, that lead up was so, uh, I really love it. And you, you see the, um, the lightsaber, Darth Vader's lightsaber, um, uh, crack and Luke's crack. And you're just like, it just gets me so excited every time. Like that just lights me up. I'm like, Ooh, like the big fight's coming. And, uh, that's, that's probably my favorite moment. That and uh, also in Cloud City when um, Vader lays the trap and the door opens and Han and Leia are there and he's at the head oh, of the table. Okay. I'm just like, oh, it's 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 <laughs> just so just brilliant. Yeah, I, I kind of always giggle a little bit when he blocks those shots and pulls the gun right out of his hand. <laughs> I mean, that is, I think, probably next to 
Vader throwing his lightsaber at Luke in Return of the Jedi is one of his most like force powerful moments where he does something really badass. Yeah. Um, and, and really that's been on rest for a couple decades until Rogue One, uh, which, oh by, which by the way, I got to say, I didn't notice it until my third viewing that that poor guy that he force pins to the ceiling of that hallway, <laughs> he then cuts him in half. <laughs> with it's brutal. Like it's the first time you see like Vader's brutality on display in the films. And yeah. it's like, whoa, this guy is not just, you know, some crazy guy in a costume with a lightsaber. Like he's serious. He, he is an ugly and very uh, uh, evil person. Well, it, like, really yeah, lends, that. it really lends some credence to to what Leia says to Tarkin about you're holding Vader's leash. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that Tarkin uh, says, you know, Vader will take care of this cruiser um, and we don't have to worry about that. I mean, he is he's an attack dog. And if you spend a whole lot of time in in Star Wars extra canon materials, like you kind of get that he is a pinned up animal that then the emperor unleashes on on people. Um, yeah. but Tarkin is kind of a guy who does have him sort of on a, on a chokehold, uh, and he gets to deploy him whenever he wants to attack people. Um, I, I thought, I thought it was really interesting in the book that they finally understand what their relationship is, uh, like between Tarkin and, and Vader like, yep. uh, and how they got to know each other and why. Cause I think when you watch a new hope and you're like, why is, um, Vader, you know, cowtailing to this, uh, taking orders from this guy. Like it didn't, it didn't really seem to make sense when you seem to be like the all powerful character, um, the all powerful bad guy that he is, but, um, he uses him to great effect and just, uh, it really shows like the Vader's kind of superpower. And if you follow like the, I've been following the Darth Vader comics, uh, uh, the new comic book series, and you see like that power, um, that he is a super weapon. He's not, um, just uh, a sword wielding, you know, uh, bad guy. Uh, he really, he, he really is kind of a, a force unto himself. He's, he's the power of an entire army is like trapped up in Vader, and uh, his when he un- unleashes his rage, um, it's just he's unstoppable. Yeah, and I think the Tarkin book, like you said, is a a good explainer of why they have a peaceful dynamic in Episode Four. <laughs> That is relatively uh, respectful and restrained. Um, there is not a power struggle going on at that table because the power struggle between those two was sorted out in that book. The emperor had had enough of them sort of butting heads and he wanted them to work it out and figure out y'all's dynamic. And they did. Um, and then you get to A New Hope and then you realize that these guys are partners, uh, not combatants in the Empire. Now someone like Krennic he is kind of a combatant in the situation where he doesn't even realize that there are all these people who have alliances above him and they're all against him. He is mm-hmm. the true outsider in that situation. Um, but what about the Star Wars politics really interests you? Now, there are different eras. There's the prequel era, the, the original trilogy. There's Empire, Rebels, Separatist, Republic. What about the politics of Star Wars do you find to be interesting and most exciting? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think there's, uh, I think when I was younger, I didn't really necessarily see the politics beyond like the simple morality between uh, like the empire and the the rebellion. Everything was very clear cut, and um, uh, but kind of what always fascinated me about the empire was that I never understood, um, you know, 
who were these people? Like, why did they, why, if they're evil, why would anybody be evil, right? Like, that doesn't really seem uh, to make sense, didn't really seem to make sense to me. And uh, why, uh, you know, what motivates uh, people on the dark side? Like, what mo- motivates the Empire? What motivates uh, um, all these characters uh, that you don't really necessarily explore? Like, you kind of know the motiv- motivations of the Emperor, it's just, like, true power. Um, the motivations of Vader are pretty clear, like, clearly drawn out. Um, but you don't really know, like, the people in the Death Star, like, why are they there? And, and what do they kind of bring to the, uh, the discussion? Like, what caused the Empire to rise in the first place? And so I think even though the prequels don't do a great job at uh, really getting in detail and sure, um, sure. I think truly explaining themselves, it does lend some, uh, 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 I think, important discussion of, you know, how a Republic turns into the Empire. And um, so I think from a, even a young age, I was always kind of fascinated by the bad guys uh, because I never, I always kind of wanted to understand why, <laughs> uh, why they were, why they were bad or why, why they made these evil choices. Yeah. So you're someone who you thought the the prequels were good and all, but it didn't explain why someone like Captain Nita became Captain Nita, you know, like yeah. where, where did his career start? Was he a Republic soldier who believed in the cause of the empire or is he just a dutiful soldier who who can't desert? Um, you know, how did these people end up in this situation to begin with? Um, because for all intents and purposes, the the politicians sold out the Republic and turned it in the Empire. You don't know what any of the line officers think who are yeah. serving on Star Destroyers 20 years later. Um, there's no way to know. And no, I, exactly. I, um, I think it's interesting um, that just even through the prequels and, and um, just the first thing like Tarkin says, like, you know, this will be the ultimate power in the galaxy and we'll rule through fear. And it's like, that sounds on the face of it, like a, a nasty evil thing to say, but like really his end goal is, is peace and peace throughout the galaxy to create economic prosperity for, for, you know, his planet and uh, all of the other planets in the galaxy. And like, so there in there, there is some, there's some goal that I think everyone can kind of, uh, uh, at least understand, because otherwise, I think if you don't have that understanding, you just see them as reckless, um, uh, unrelatable, uh, evil characters. And like, I don't think that that's helpful um, uh, to just see them as kind of uh, black or white. Uh, there's there's like some depth to that. And, you know, that's just kind of the beginning of what got me interested in it. Um, obviously, the prequels were all about politics and the uh, economics of uh, trade in the galaxy and all of these uh, issues that you didn't really see or necessarily think about, except you know, possibly in the extended universe in the the original trilogy, and bringing up uh, uh, the politics of the Senate and um, uh, you know Palpatine's rise to power, which is also incredibly fascinating um, uh, to kind of dive into. So I think there's just so much depth to the universe, and that. Uh, they've always had the freedom to go very far um, with all of the different material uh, that they've had out there that has always kind of fascinated me. Have you ever seen the study about the economic impact of the Death Star and also destroying yes. the Death Star? It was by yes. Zachary Feinstein, I believe, of, of Something Something University. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, that was a, a, a nerd out moment for me. I enjoyed that so much. 
I feel like I discovered that in college and just had like, you know, I had many late night discussions of like the empire and the rebels and like what the empire, their goals were, their mission. And, um, were they the good, you know, uh, what role did they actually pay play? Like were the rebels, uh, in destroying the death star doing something that was actually, uh, they, they were killing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. Like, was this actually a justifiably good act? And uh, also, it, it drained, like, it killed economic productivity for all of the remaining planets, like, all of the uh, surrounding planets uh, near where it was built. Like, how, how do you draw the lines here for what is good and good and bad? Well, and, uh, for uh, you as, a, as an like, empire guy, uh, you know, it says on your Twitter, you're a galactic imperialist. <laughs> um, yes. You know, what do you think about... Yeah. There's, that, there's that guy at, sitting at the table in Rogue One, and he says... The Empire has a super weapon, and we don't have one. Do you think that yeah. the Rebels would use one if they had one, or at least that there are some people who would in the Rebellion? Oh, uh, absolutely, at least given how Rogue One kind of played out and described what the beginnings of uh, kind of different coalitions that made up the, um, the Rebellion. And I, I absolutely think if they had a Death Star, they would probably use it as well. Um, though I think that that really seems in stark contrast with what happens in the original trilogy and like the uh, uh, kind of clear moral uh, uh, guidelines with which uh, the rebels seem to make their decisions. Everything is made for a universally positive um, out outcome um, through positive means, uh, generally speaking, like the negative or the uh, kind of the damage that's incurred through these actions is never really discussed or brought up. And this is the first time yeah. they ever really discuss it. And now like, I do think the rebels would use it, but yes, but would they ever develop it or would they ever have, I think, uh, uh, uh the kind of the discipline, um, to be able to create a super weapon. I mean, they could probably, um, acquire one, but like, it's kind of interesting, interesting to think about. I, I sometimes like to think about the rebels as like this, they're this collection of, uh, they have extremists. You see like the extremists in rogue one through Saul Guerrero. And then you see the, um, one Mothma and that kind of, um, uh, the moderate forces at work, yeah, yeah. and you see how they're able to kind of attract, in almost in parallel with kind of how the separatists, uh, or at least it's like you know my concept of how the separatists and the confederation kind of came together through like different mutual interests, and um, without the the kind of uh, clear um, purpose that the empire has, and that's like what leads to the Death Star is like we want to control the galaxy, um, and restore order. Uh, to the galaxy through fear and doing that, building up a massive army and using kind of military deterrence um, to achieve that. And I don't think the rebels, though, if they had it, they would probably use it. I don't think that they have the kind of organizational structure uh, that kind of supports that, uh, uh, that those those goals. Kind of related to this, I mean, understanding yeah, got, what who the rebels the are. Question, yeah, understanding who the rebels are and what they actually believe in. Um, you know, we know that Cassian Andor, uh, you know, he started in the rebellion when he was six years old, um, and we found out in the uh, in the the visual guide for Rogue One that he comes from a separatist family. So, kind of adding to that interesting dynamic, he comes from a family and probably a background that doesn't even believe in the Republic. So, you might have Mon Mothma and Bail Organa fighting to restore the Republic uh, with the Rebel Alliance, but. What's Cassian fighting for exactly? 
it's a good reminder that some of the the rebels don't necessarily all share some same view of what the end product is going to be. There may be a very rough political consensus, but I'm really now intrigued knowing that he comes from a separatist background, what he thinks is the right state of the galaxy, because really the empire is just the republic plus oppression. Um, it's the same model. It's bringing the entire galaxy under one banner instead of independent systems. Um, I, I, I think the, the rebels have shown themselves to not be united really in any way outside of just opposing the empire. I wish Rogue yeah. One gave us more. I, I agree. I, I just started reading Catalyst and I'm really hoping that that gives me a little bit more insight into, um, in, in, into these, uh, into the rebellion and like what the factions are that kind of make it up because clearly not all of them, as you described, are not um, just jaded uh, former Republic uh, members of the Republic or, you know, um, kind of in line. uh, 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 um, I'm trying to say Uh, they're not all necessarily like in in league with their former, you know, um, jaded uh, members of the Republic. Uh, Some of them have other interests and like, what are the interests that hold them together? Because like, I think we're, in the past year and a half, like working in politics for the first time and seeing a lot of how things come together is you see all of these different interests and you see all these different groups kind of come together uh, to try to fight for one cause and come under one banner, but they all still have their own interests. And how do you, how do you get those disparate interest groups to come together to unite behind one cause? And it's very difficult. I mean, obviously we weren't like, we were successful in some ways and unsuccessful in others uh, to get coalitions to come together. And coalition building is like, it's just what all about kind of high level politics is all about. Well, I think the first group that comes to my mind along that lines is the millennial vote. Um, you know, so if you, you kind of go with the, the general uh, line that the millennials were for Bernie Sanders in the democratic primary, um, was it enough to just be, against Trump. They didn't actually ever kind of come over to being for Hillary and being for Hillary adds votes of your friends. Then you bring your family. But if you're just someone who is part of the coalition because you're against the other guy, I'm not convinced in many forms that that's enough. Um, And that tends to usually fall apart. Uh, Did you see that sort of play out at all in the real world context? I think it was, I I think it was difficult. Um, we always had trouble articulating uh, what the vision was beyond just like not Trump or, um, uh, and I, I think it was hard to articulate of like uh, articulate beyond the uh, kind of what we've been hearing for the past really eight years. Like, what are we going to build upon from Obama saying like, we want to essentially continue a lot of the policies of Obama, but like what, 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 what there um, hadn't, what was new and, I don't think, I, I don't know, maybe uh, our message just didn't get through clearly enough, but it was easy to see um, some groups kind of maybe coming together after the primary that were not with us, um, but, you know, kind of, there were people that were dragging their feet. There were definitely groups that were dragging their feet. Millennials was definitely one of them, and I think that um, throughout that was always the biggest concern, um, like, that always kind of kept people up at night about, like, what about millennials? Like, are they going to show up? Um, are they going to be with us? Uh, just because as you said, like, are they going to be against Trump? Is that enough reason for them to show up? Um, and you know, it reminded me so much of 2004, um, because that was the first time that was the first election that I was old enough to vote in. And, um, John Kerry really failed to, uh, mobilize uh, a lot of voters 
not just against George W. Bush. Um, and I thought that was, uh, like, looking back on it, I feel like that it, it felt very reminiscent of that and kind of after the fact uh, that, you know, it's kind of funny, actually, because so much of the leadership and so many people I worked for, actually, we had a lot of people that worked on the Howard Dean campaign in 2004 um, yeah, that were now yeah. working in uh, the Clinton campaign 2016. But, like, <laughs> that was that generation's uh, or that time's, you know, that cycle's kind of populists, um, uh, left populist candidate. Uh, in Howard Dean. And when that failed, um, you know, Howard Dean even came and talked and spoke to us and he said, you know, it took me a month and a half to convince my staff to get on board with supporting John Kerry. And like, it took, it took a long time to kind of bring those people over. And some people just never did. Um, And there is something, there's absolutely something to be said about um, passion and um, passionate, uh, 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 like passionate coalitions. And I think that the, as you said, like the Again, kind of being against something isn't as exciting as being for something. <laughs> um, and you don't talk to your friends about it. You don't um, maybe the mobilization, uh, which is actually kind of weird, uh, you know, come to think of it like we had, we broke records in terms of phone calls, in terms of doors knocked, in terms of volunteers registered. Um, we had more than um, any of the, either of the Obama campaigns. And so there was definitely like mobilization, but like there was something else there that I think we're still trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, as to why uh, some people did maybe just didn't co- come along, didn't show up to the polls, or if they did, they didn't vote. Maybe they didn't vote in the, um, you know, the top of the ticket, or you know, there. I, f- I feel like there were a million reasons you could kind of come up with um, as to uh, you know why we're not successful in particular in particular areas, um, and uh, unfortunately, I, I yeah the. And if you want to go back to the millennial vote, I think we're still trying to decide for that one. I think we're still trying to figure that out. Just needed needed more Jen Ursos on the ground giving inspiring inspiring speeches about the cause. Uh. Hey, it's it's true um, that you know there's some moments uh, when a particular politician would come in and give a really rousing speech. Uh, I've noticed so you see people work harder, you see more people show up, um, you see that passion um, that just excites people. Uh, and I, uh, I, I wish, I wish everyone got to see some of the things that we, we were able to see some of the people we saw spoken. I frankly, a side of Hillary that I don't think many people did see, um, the chance to be able to meet her and, uh, actually, um, interact with her and the people that surround her was inspirational in a way that I, I, I don't know that I, uh, could, could fully convey to someone, but I I would say, and, and to say to your audience, like, um, I think my background, uh, given my background in technology, like I didn't see a path to get involved in politics. And, um, you know, there are opportunities out there, like just talking to people and showing up to volunteer events, getting involved in a particular cause. Um, it's so rewarding and it is so, it is, you know, this was definitely the best thing that I've probably done with my, I've done with my career, with my life. And so I, I really hope that everybody takes the opportunity I just try to get involved in something that they're they're interested and they're passionate about because I think you'll find there's a lot more there even if you don't know where your talents may fit in. Yes, uh, that is a plug to all listeners. If you do not know what to do with your life right now and you have some sort of valuable skill, take it to a campaign office and someone will eventually pay you to do it. <laughs> it's true. It's Maybe so true. Much, but you wake up knowing that you're doing the right, like that you're doing the right thing every day, and that is the that's the most valuable thing uh, to me. Was just knowing doing the right thing is also important. For, yeah, yeah. 
Um, you mentioned experiences in, in the office and that reminded me of the picture you sent me, uh, where you've got your tattoo on full display, your, uh, your Imperial <laughs> arm sleeve tattoo in a picture with Bill Clinton. Yes. What was okay, that? So what that was that was, like? That was, that was interesting because I, uh, that was my first week on the job. So I was still technically living in San Francisco. I just flew out um, to kind of do onboarding, get uh, get started at the campaign, and then I was moving. Uh, my partner and I were moving to New York, to Brooklyn, uh, to work uh, full-time. And so one thing I learned um, about working on the campaign was that, um, so, like, when a Clinton's vi- the Clintons visit, or a Clinton visits, like, they don't, <laughs> they don't broadcast that. They don't really let you know. They don't give mm-hmm. you, like, a heads up on that, necessarily. You might You might get some vibes around the office. You might hear from somebody that, Oh, something's going to happen tomorrow. Like somebody's going to show up. It's like, okay, cool. But you never really know necessarily who it is. And, uh, sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's not. Uh, and that day, um, we get an email at like 10 in the morning, 10 30 in the morning. I already, I only had like, you know, three outfits for this week. So I just put on my t-shirt and jeans <laughs> showed up and they're like, Oh, you know, Bill's going to be here in 20 minutes. And it's like, Whoa, Okay, oh, no. uh, President Clinton is about to show up in the office. Oh, my heart just like exploded. Because uh, it's like, oh, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Like I look totally, I'm not prepared uh, uh, to meet the former president. And um, so he makes the rounds. He's there for like three and a half hours, shaking hands, meeting everybody, talking with all the teams. It was probably back last August. And um, I'm brand new. I don't really know that many people or their names. <laughs> and so his... Um, the crew kind of uh, show, he shows up to our group, starts shaking hands. My manager isn't anywhere to be found, uh, and so he didn't have any way to uh, um, be introduced to everybody. So I was the incoming next kind of manager. Uh, I was next on the list, and so I had to start. I had to like try to introduce people to him, oh, and no. I was just I'm fangirling <laughs> out. I'm just like, oh my god! Like my heart is exploding. I've been watching this guy on television, and and Bill Clinton speaks since I was you know. Eight years old, or uh, you know, pretty much my entire life, and he was so charming and so funny. And uh, he'd been there for three and a half hours, and he was still cracking jokes. Uh, my other coworker uh, was wearing sweatshorts with birds on them, and uh, he made a comment that he looked really comfortable. He said, "Oh yeah," and he said, "Okay, that's that, that's great." He said, "Mr. President, you know, if I would have known, I wouldn't have worn those bird shorts." <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Oh, it's 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 totally fine. Just don't let my staff know." Don't let them get wind of it because uh, I think they're pretty great. And um, it was just, it was, it was such a, a wild moment. And then I didn't realize until I got the photos back. I'm like, oh, wow. Like my big imperial tattoo, I'm like right in the front of this photo. And uh, my tattoo is like hanging out. And I just met all of these people. And this is like the team shot um, for to, team photo uh, for tech. And uh, people started making comments. Uh, my CTO got uh, some comments on it. They're like, who is that? Like, uh, who's the? Some people recognize the Star Wars ta- as a Star Wars tattoo. Yeah, like, yeah. who's the like the big Star Wars nerd on your team? And she didn't even know who I was yet. Like, she hadn't even met me yet. Um, and uh, that was that was such a big moment. Um, it was it was pretty funny. But uh, yeah, I that was the first photo I I, um, I got on the campaign was with the president uh, with President Clinton with my big imperial tattoo hanging out. <laughs> oh, I love that. That just sounds like a really great experience. Uh, a little, yeah, little bit uh, bone, bone, ch- bone chilling. Just like coming into work, uh, dress what you think is going to be the wrong way. <laughs> the president yeah. shows up. Yeah, and there, there was a lot of Star Wars 
fandom, I think uh, in the office, um, a lot of, especially around the time of The Force Awakens, um, there was just Star Wars everywhere in the office, like balloons. Um, I, people were dressing up for uh, for The Force Awakens. Like I went oh, cool. to the midnight showing with uh, my co, you know, a couple of my coworkers, all dressed in Jedi robes. I had a, um, I, have, I have a Boba Fett helmet, and uh, mm-hmm. I brought that into work, and everybody was just like so, so stoked for Star Wars. Um, and so it was, it was a very friendly office for Star Wars geeks. I'll say that. Well, I will, uh, I'll be sure to share with you some photos in a couple of weeks. I, I ordered my director Krennic costume. Uh, nice. so I, I'm hoping it doesn't look like total garbage. Uh, but <laughs> I'm going to, it's all about the fit. I'm, gonna, just have to probably have I'm to just going to have to get it tweaked a little bit to make it fit. But the yeah. one, the one last thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, before we're out of time here, um, we're going to do an episode in a couple of weeks on, what 2016 did to fans of the Empire. Um, within Star Wars fandom, there was a pretty big uh, introspection going on about um, what it means to be an Imperial fan. And you, as an Imperial fan working on the Hillary Clinton campaign, yeah. in this time where just about every Vox variety... Uh, I'm trying to think of another another uh, another outlet, Slates, but just Slate are all basically tying uh, the Trump era to the empire and the rebellion uh, to your campaign. Um, <laughs> and that actually impacted a lot of people in a way that I think was in a lot of ways negative um, because we in fandom, we do this. Oh, I'm a rebel fan. I'm an imperial fan thing. Very casually. It's fun. It kind of. You know, we do our different costuming groups, stuff like that, you know, the 501st or the rebel yeah. groups. And um, I thought it was it was actually kind of a painful experience for a lot of people to see that, like, if you're an imperial fan, uh, that you are some part of uh, like some part of a cultural problem. Did you catch wind of that conversation at all? And how do you digest it? Because I know you did this costume on Halloween, like the alt Imperial costume, you know, uh, which was kind of part of our joke on the show about the alt right. Um, and, and the first order being sort of like that kind of movement, um, make the galaxy great again. But how do you sort of digest what it means to be an Imperial fan in the context of 2016 now being wrapped up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult question, I guess, to, to answer in some ways. Uh, you could kind of see it. Um, uh, and, and yeah, there were a lot of articles kind of coming out, um, especially after the force awakens, uh, in light of, uh, the Trump campaign and like, obviously, uh, the obvious growth of, uh, or at least, uh, light being shined on kind of the alt right and the you know uh, white nationalists, white supremacists, um, yeah. the groups kind of um, embracing and trying to kind of um, co-opt um, uh, the the Trump campaign and, and and in that co-opting Star Wars, which I you know being a fan of the Empire, being a fan of the Rebellion, when I from you know my youth and my experience in fandom and fan groups has always been completely divorced from whatever your uh, your political leanings or your political interests have always been, it's always like star Wars is always, you know, uh, at water's edge. Like there was never a mixture of the two. I had fans, uh, I had big fans of the rebellion that were, uh, Republicans, libertarians, Democrats, socialists, communists. Um, yeah, it all had to do with whether or not you like a black, a black costume or a Brown costume. (laughs) It, it, 
it had very it had nothing to do with your your political leanings or very little to do with it and um it it uh was very upsetting uh to me especially as a fan of the empire to all of a sudden have these you know these alt-right uh white supremacist groups trying to start to co-opt and and piggyback off of star wars and and uh, try to co-opt the empire is somehow a representation of, or, or just like push their policies onto, uh, uh, that, that canvas of star Wars and, and try to just co-opt the mainstream success of, of star Wars by grafting their political leanings onto it, which I always try to, re- I generally try to reject that, that thought process because this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is not, um, earth, you, you know, um, North America, United States at present, um, and so I, I don't like uh, a lot of people that kind of try to co-opt fandoms for uh, particular political purposes. Um, but it was obvious that it was, it was happening. And mm-hmm. so I found that very upsetting and, and depressing um, because obviously that those groups, those alt-right white supremacist groups represent the complete antithesis of everything that I worked for and supported um, uh, in my life, in my job, uh, at the campaign and watching uh, uh, these really reprehensible, um, kind of, in my like view, like morally bankrupt people trying to, um, ruin something that I really enjoy, have enjoyed and has been part of my life since I was a kid. And, uh, you know, I have very visibly visible signs of my fandom. Uh, I have a big tattoo. I have, you know, Star Wars hats, t-shirts, stuff all, all over the place. And a lot of it's very Imperial. And so like to have that, um, be associated with these groups is really uh it scares me a little bit because i don't want every i don't ever want anybody to interpret that as my allegiance or support of any of these groups or in any way affiliated affiliated with them and uh though star wars has always been i think had some root in uh, has roots in politics and star wars is very political um it was it kind of distressing and uh when the force awakens came out and the new order, uh, uh, was kind of rolled out. Uh, it was exciting at first. It was like, Oh, the empire, cool. The empire is still around. I really like that. And then, yeah. um, a lot of people started talking about how they were a white, not like a white supremacist group. And, um, yeah, uh, like kind of, again, just trying to graft, uh, real world politics onto, onto star Wars, like groups in star Wars and to have, what was it? The writer, uh, one of the writers, Chris um, White. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for Rogue One, come out and say that the Empire is like a white nationalist group. I'm like, uh, like it, it's uh, it it hurts a bit because um, it makes me want to just distance myself. It makes me afraid that people are going to interpret my fandom, my interests, uh, um, my fandom of of the the Empire uh, as somehow associated with those values, which I wholeheartedly reject and and am just disgusted by. So that was a very rough thing this year, along with everything else. I mean, there's so much. And then when Star Wars starts to get taken away from you um, by people that you strongly disagree with, uh, it, 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 it's, um, uh, that was very disheartening. Yeah, I, I hear you 100%. Um, I think that was one of the most troubling uh, things to happen this year from a cultural standpoint outside of, you know, the election. Um, for me, I mean, that was, as part of Star Wars fandom, just an incredible step backwards from 
being a group of people who like love each other, take care of each other and believe the best in each other. Like if you are a fan of the empire, it's, it's something malicious going on inside of you. And you touched on it really well earlier when you were talking about, um, a fascination with people who go dark. And I am a villain fan myself, have been since I was a kid. I didn't think Aladdin was very cool. I thought Jafar was, <laughs> I thought oh, Jafar yeah. was the, the, the coolest one on screen. And I'm just, I'm fascinated with people who make those kinds of decisions. I find them to be more dynamic. Um, and then sort of as part of your childhood persona, you sort of lean into it and you get really into the bad guys. And uh, it's just kind of all part of fun. It's all part of growing up. Um, and we're going to do an episode on that in a couple of weeks. I'd love to actually cool. circle back to you if you want to talk a little bit more about it. Um, sure. Cause yeah. one thing we'll be doing is we'll be kind of uh, asking some people for their perspectives um, on a different question. That's a little bit related to that. Um, so if you want to come back on in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll reach out and we'd love to get your take on that as well. Because um, it's, it's got to be a moment where we're going to have a, a bunch of different Imperial fans kind of come in and talk about uh, this issue and how to move on from it when we're being bombarded by think pieces uh, from board writers about why we should feel bad about it. So Yeah, it uh, feels like there's been a nonstop explosion of uh, uh, Star Wars related think pieces in, in the media recently from Politico's article um, to yeah. – um, it's, it felt like the fourth. Maybe this is just a cycle of every year. This is going to happen because oh, yeah. of the oh, yeah. year, it's going to be nonstop and just the prominence of Star Wars. But um, you know, how do we? And I think a big question there uh, that I think um, it's probably something you said, which is uh, does you know Star Wars fandom has always been a very inclusive uh, group that no matter where you came from, what your political leanings were, you were accepted because you this was something that you held very dear and held to be very important. Um, and like, can we keep that? Um, like, can we maintain that positive environment um, of Star Wars fandom if politics creeps into it, um, or real world politics creeps into that? Um, can we maintain that? And I think that's an interesting question. And I, I very much hope that we can because it has been the Star Wars fandom is the uh, has has really uh, improved my life and made so many friends um, in 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 my life. And so I it would be. Uh, extraordinarily painful to watch that uh, kind of erode uh, or be co-opted by political groups. Well, uh, I've uh, I've made a lot of friends and relationships doing the whole uh, the whole Star Wars thing as well that I never thought I would have. Um, I never thought I'd be able to talk to a guy who just came off the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, <laughs> and uh, I was uh, not working in those interests, but I really appreciate people who do that work. And it is important work that takes a whole lot of uh, heart, passion, and energy. And I know you've been... Uh, traveling the world and kind of getting ready for the next step of your life. Um, but I just wanted to say to you that like, I appreciate you, uh, putting a year and a half of your time into a, a campaign for president. Uh, and I hope that the next year is better for you, uh, than the end of this one was. Yeah, I hope so as well. But I, um, and thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, I think though that despite the outcome, this has been the, it was the best journey of, of my life. Um, and I would encourage everybody, uh, that if you have the opportunity, if you are as fortunate as I am, uh, to get involved in something that's, uh, late to, um, something you really believe in that, uh, nothing is more rewarding. Even if the outcome is not, um, in your favor, uh, you will make relationships and you will meet people kind of that, um, 
friendships and bonds formed through hard work and struggle are um, some of those most rewarding. And uh, it's, you know, it was some of the best times of my life. Uh, so I'll, I'd strongly, uh, strongly encourage anybody uh, to get involved. Um, and on and on that note, um, I think we will go out. Uh, Steven, Chesson, can, can I tell you one more story? Just one. I had yeah. been holding on to this, so I was like, uh, I'll I'll tell I'll tell the story a little bit. Because Please I, do. You mentioned it very briefly, and um, you know, during the time of the Force Awakens, um, it was like the week of release. Uh, you know, I think there's an infamous or semi-infamous uh, moment at one of the debates between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton where she closes um, <laughs> by uh, saying, "May the Force be with you." And, uh, you know, a lot of people, like I had friends, yeah, I had a lot of Bernie friends, Bernie friends, Hillary friends. And, uh, a lot of, um, people didn't really know like, oh, that's, that's some sort of Star Wars pandering or something like that. And I just wanted to say like, uh, that was one of the biggest, uh, eruptions at the campaign of like excitement. Um, we didn't know it was coming and we got kind of a little bit of the inside scoop at the end, uh, which I thought, I thought I'd probably, I'd just share. Uh, briefly, because that uh, was the biggest applause line, I think, of any of the debates uh, that uh, that occurred, and the whole place just exploded. Oh, and then one of the senior, after oh. that happened, we were like, "Who told her to say that? What happened? Like, like we didn't we didn't know that was coming." And so um, then we had to like design, went off and like cranked out a bunch of Star Wars related stuff really quickly because they're like, <laughs> "We didn't know it was going to happen. We didn't know she was going to say it." And a senior staffer uh, comes out. And uh, he was like so excited about it, just feeling really good. And he, he kind of said, you know, well, we were in the, you know, I was with them. We were in the in the van um, earlier today, and they all they had seen it, gotten a screening of Force Awakens earlier, and they were ruminating about you know things to talk about the debate that night. And, and like somebody said, like, oh, you should say it, like you should say, you know, may the, may the Force be with you. And and she's like, ah, oh, seems kind of corny, you know. <laughs> um, and uh, they were like, oh, all right. You know, she didn't seem didn't seem seem like she was going to buy it. I like, didn't seem like uh, that that was something she was interested in saying. And um, so I think it came by surprise uh, to almost probably uh, almost everybody uh, at the campaign, uh, which I thought was kind of cool uh, because it was uh, something that she actually like. She kind of felt. I think she felt good enough to say it. She felt excited, and uh, she was kind of feeling feeling that Star Wars vibe from. <laughs> from uh, catching the force awakens before. And that was just like one of the, my favorite moments on the campaign because everybody was just so relentlessly excited about that. And it was like two, two parts of my life uh, that kind of came together and it's like, this really, really I love it. I love love it. it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that story. We've talked about this on, we, we do this on some of our star Wars goes to Washington panels. Um, and so now I can say I actually have a, a source from the Hillary Clinton campaign <laughs> who, uh, who can tell us where that came from. So that is really, really awesome. Thank you, Justin. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for having me on and, and talking Star Wars. I, I always love it. Yeah, um, it is a real uh, privilege to actually finally meet you. And again, I will circle back to you because uh, we'd love to have you on again for a, another short discussion on uh, the Empire and going forward as fans. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you, Stephen. Laugh it up, Fuzzball.